Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. I want to jump right into the message today. As Josie mentioned, this will be part two of our series on the supernatural power of the transformed mind. I'll just give a little brief two-minute recap of last week. If you missed it, now if you did miss it, of course, you can go to our YouTube channel and, uh, and catch week one. But um, in 2005, Bill Johnson, a pastor in California, he wrote a book called The Supernatural Power of the Transformed Mind, and that's what this series is, is based on. Last week, the main text, the main verses that we used were Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Well, if we're not going to be conformed to this world, instead, let's be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you might discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And we talked about seeing things in life through heaven's perspective, not through our worldly, earthly, human perspective. I gave you the example, uh, Jesus and the disciples were out ministering, and a crowd, I mean a crowd of like up to 20,000 people went out to follow Jesus, to listen to him teach. Uh, he was doing miracles and healing people, but then it got late at night. There wasn't enough food to feed 20,000 people, so the disciples saw the situation and freaked out. They saw it through a human perspective. Too many people, not enough food. Jesus saw the exact same situation through a renewed mind from heaven's perspective. And he's like, well, there's no hunger in heaven, so we'll just need to release some food onto the earth. So that can, that can only happen through the transformed mind. And then I remind you that um, to get a renewed mind, to get a transformed mind, that when the Apostle Paul wrote that letter to the Romans, he picked that word uh, transformed very carefully because that word was only used three times in the whole Bible. And it's that word that was talking about when Jesus was transfigured and he, he, he turned into his, his heavenly state. It's that word metamorpho, obviously where we get metamorphosis. And it's the, that's what a renewed mind looked like. It, it's a whole new thing. It, it's been transformed. It's glowing and dazzling because it sees things through heaven's perspective. We also talked about, and we're going to talk about more of this today, that Jesus taught us how to pray. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, holy be the name. And he said, I want you to learn to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever is in heaven, we release it into the earth. There's no sickness in heaven, so we release healing into the earth. There's no fear in heaven, so we release faith and confidence and boldness, peace into the earth. That's how a transformed mind thinks. It thinks and prays heaven down to earth, and that's exactly where we're going to pick up today. Week two is becoming the dwelling place of God. Becoming the dwelling place of God. So I want to take you to the book of Genesis. Um, I won't have time to read background verses, but I'll just tell you the story. Um, in, in, well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, the very, very beginning. The devil tempted Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve failed just like you and I do, and he Brought, they brought sin into the world, and they were handing down sin, and, and man became separated from God because of our sin. So God loves us so much that he launched this plan of salvation. 
He needed to pick a person and then create a nation so that one day, thousands of years later, there could be a savior, a Messiah that would come and, and not just save that family, but save everybody in the world. So God chose Abraham. He picked one guy. And he chose Abraham. He said, out of this guy, I'm going to create a whole new nation of people. This is how the Jewish people were born. And out of that nation of people, that's where life and, and, and this sin problem is going to be solved for the whole world. Abraham had some boys. He had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we all know that Jesus came from uh, Jacob's fourth son, Judah. Jesus was from the, the, the tribe or the line of Judah. Now, before we get to Judah, before we get uh, that far down the line, we've got to go back to Isaac. In, in Genesis chapter 27, Isaac is getting very old. He's getting near death. And it's time for Isaac to hand over the family inheritance, hand over the family um, name, if you will, to his oldest son, Esau. Now, Esau and Jacob were actually twins, but since Esau was born first, he was a few minutes older than his brother, so Esau should have been the one that received the inheritance of Isaac's family. Instead of us saying, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're supposed to be saying, or we should have said, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But in Genesis chapter 27, Jacob deceived his elderly father, and he stole the birthright. He stole the inheritance from his brother Esau. He stole that blessing. So at the end of chapter 27, Esau swears, when my dad Isaac dies, Jacob, you better watch out. I know you're my twin brother, but I'm going to kill you. So when dad dies, I'm coming for you. So we're going to pick up the story at the beginning of Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is on the run. He's trying to get away from his brother. He's trying to get away from that whole area. So he heads north from Beersheba in the south of Israel. And Jacob is in the middle of absolutely just nowhere. And he's tired in his long journey. So he lays down to go to sleep. And while Jacob is sleeping, he has this prophetic dream above him. We'll actually read this story. This will be our main text for today. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and he went to Haran. He came to a certain place and he stayed there the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones in that place, he put it under his head and he laid down to sleep. He dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of that ladder reached up into heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. Now, I, I told you, Beersheba is in the south of what is now the modern-day land of Israel, but this is thousands of years before all that. This is just dirt, desert land. And, and, and Jacob is fleeing his brother. He's just going straight north. He gets into the middle of nowhere, which is today modern-day Israel. It's actually a town just north of Jerusalem. And we're going to skip verses 13 through 16 for time, but this is where in that dream, God speaks to Jacob. He said, look around. I'm going to give you all of this land, and I'm going to give your children and grandchildren all of this land around you, which is why 3,700 years later, the land of Israel still belongs to the Jewish people because God promised it right here in this story in Genesis 28. All right, let's jump down to verse 16. Jacob awoke. He awoke from his sleep, and he said, whoa, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. He was afraid. And then he said, well, how awesome is this place. 
This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. I want you to remember that. Skip down to verse 19. He called the name of that place Bethel, which in Hebrew means Beit El, Beit El, Bethel, the house, Beit El of God. So I remind you, Jacob isn't in a building. Jacob isn't even in a tent. Jacob is in the middle of nowhere. He's just walking and he picks a place. So here's Jacob, you know, here's Genesis chapter 27. Um, he stole his brother's birthright. So the birthright is going to Jacob. And his brother Esau is like, hey, when dad dies, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob puts his backpack and he's just marching through the desert. And he's like, oh, I'm tired. I think I'll put a rock and I'm just going to lay down here and I'm going to have this sleep in the middle of nowhere. But while he's sleeping, he has this vision of a ladder that's being set up over top of him. And I only wish I had prepared a ladder ahead of time that would be set up over me, over me, over me, <laughs> over me. And while he is, that's fine. And while he's having this dream, He's looking up into heaven and he sees a ladder. And on this ladder, there's angels descending and angels ascending back up into heaven. And then in the morning, he wakes up and he goes, oh my gosh, I had no idea that the Lord was in this place. Now, here's a funny thing. This is, I'm not that tall, it's fine. This is what I see every Sunday. There could be 30 minutes of worship, and some people are having tears streaming down their face and goosebumps in the back of their neck, and their eyes are closed, and they're just pressing into the very presence of God. And they're like, the Lord is in this place, and he's touching my life, and he's healing my heart, he's healing my body, he's healing my marriage, he's healing my mind. God is in this place. And the person right next to them can go, yeah, I didn't know the Lord was in this place. I was thinking about lunch. <laughs> And I go, oh, i got to take the laundry from the washer to the dryer. Doggone it, it's going to stink if I, if I let it sit there too long. And, uh, oh, tomorrow morning at work, i got to file that report first thing. you got people in one moment are having this, like, heavenly experience where God is touching earth. And they're like, yeah, God is touching my life. And the person right next to them is like, I had no idea that God was in this place. So here's my point. Press into the Lord. Because he wants to minister to you. God wants to, to touch your life. And, and God wants every time you get together in worship to be a holy place, to be an awesome place, to become the house of God, to become Bethel, Bethel. So I don't want you to miss anything. Blessed are those that are not easily distracted by their phones, for they shall see God. It's not a Beatitudes, it's a Brad attitude, and I just made it up. But you've got to focus if you want to see the house of God on the earth. Jacob just fell asleep, and while he opened his eyes, he realized there was a ladder above him. That, there was, that, that place became the house of God. It wasn't, there was no building. There was no church building. There was no denomination. It's just wherever he was became the house of God, became the gateway to heaven. There was... 
Wherever Jacob was, that's where the ladder was above him. And so often we put all of our focus and our attention on church. And don't get me wrong, yes, church is important. And, and yes, being involved in a, in, a, in a you group is important. But I want you to see the example of what an open heaven looks like. Because wherever you are, you have access to an open heaven. Wherever you are, that's where God wants to touch earth. Wherever you are, that's where God wants to set up a ladder. Sometimes we put too much of an emphasis on a church or a church building, but it's, it's, now yes, church is important. Yes, discipleship is important. Yes, you groups are important, but wherever you go is where God wants to set up a place for angels to ascend and descend. Let's talk about angels for a minute. We get a little freaked out in the churchy church world about angels, and I have no idea why, so I just want to fix any bad theology that you picked up about angels and their purpose in life. You guys understand that Angels in, in Jacob's ladder, in, in his vision, they are descending to do what God has commanded them to do, and they are ascending to go get another mission from God. But angels are servants. Angels work for you. Angels are below you. They're, they're lower than mankind because they're here to serve us. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 says, don't you know that all angels are ministering spirits that are sent to serve those that will inherit salvation? Angels' jobs are to serve you. Jesus did not die on the cross for angels. Jesus did not adopt angels into his family. Angels are there to protect us and to assist us and to war for us and to fight for us. And unfortunately, too many Christians' ladders have cobwebs on them because we don't take any risks in our Christian faith and we live a life that no angels need to come and to, and to work on our behalf and to serve us and to fight for us. The Christian life is not meant to be safe. The Christian life is not meant to be boring. The, the church is not meant to be a cruise ship. The church should be a battleship where there's always angels descending and descending and fighting on the earth. We're supposed to continue the work of Jesus. And Jesus' work was described as destroying the works of the enemy. So if you haven't destroyed any works of the enemy this week, you didn't quite become a Christian yet. You're still working on it. We're still putting your training wheels on you, but that's why you're here. The funny thing is, the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians church in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Instead, we wrestle against powers and principalities and spiritual forces and dark places. Most Christians have taken Ephesians chapter 6, it says, we do not wrestle, period. No, we don't wrestle, seriously. Like, I just don't want to wrestle anything in my Christian life. I understand that a lot of people are non-confrontational, but we are called to push back against the gates of hell. All right, all of that was a little side. Let's go back to, where were we? Genesis 27 to 28, right about here. Let's go again with verse 17. Let me remind you. Again, Jacob was afraid. He said, man, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In verse 18, he says, this is Bethel. This is Beit El. This is the house of God. I want you to pay attention because this is Genesis chapter 18. This is the first time we're hearing this expression the house of God, the dwelling place of God. It's the first time we're seeing an open heaven over a person on the earth. So anytime God does something for the first time, it's important to understand the context. But then you might be like, hey, uh, Pastor Brad, um, that was 4,000 years ago. Bit of a stretch to apply this analogy to my life in 2022. Listen, I'm telling you this is the first time, but it wasn't the last time that God set up a ladder over one of his people and said this is the dwelling place of God. This is the house of God. In fact, let's fast forward 1,800 years where B.C. becomes A.D., where Jesus is born. 
Speaking of Jesus being born, uh, Luke, when he wrote his gospel story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke went into great detail to describe Jesus' birth. We know it is the Christmas story, but, but Luke gives us all of this insight, all of this, this, these details into the birth of Jesus. John, totally different story. John introduces Jesus by simply saying, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. If you've got a paper Bible, circle that. If you've got a digital Bible, highlight that. The word, Jesus, became flesh and he dwelt among us. Now this is the second time that God is creating the house of God, Beth El, where, where God comes down and touches earth, and he's dwelling among us. Jesus was God on the earth for 33 years, and that is why God sent Jesus. That's why God sent his son. You might have heard a verse that says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is the human embodiment of what was going on here in Genesis chapter 28. God made his dwelling place in a human body. So Jesus was a mobile version of Bethel. Jesus was a mobile version of the house of God. Now, I need to clarify something that I said last week, so I'm gonna take a little bit of a detour because the question was raised after last week's message. Last week, I said, Jesus did not perform miracles on the earth as God. Instead, he performed miracles as a human full of the Spirit of God. And I said that because if Jesus was performing miracles as God, it would be impossible for the disciples or anybody else to pray for the sick. It would be impossible for the disciples or anybody else to cast out devils. Jesus was God on the earth, but he had to lay aside his divinity and receive the full measure of humanity, but in order for him to do miracles, he had to also receive the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. He humbled himself into human form so that it would be not just this example of what we cannot do, but the very example of what we can do when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to his power. He became an example of, of, of a mobile house of God. Now, if I just mess with your head a little bit more and you are brand new to Jesus stuff, I, the, the Lord laid this on my heart. I, I added this to the message yesterday. If you are super new to, to, to churchy church Jesus Bible stuff, and what I just said is even more confusing, you might look into the Bible and be like, hey, do you worship three different, you worship the God of Jesus and the God of the Holy Spirit and the God of the Father? I get that that's a little trippy. But what I'm explaining to you is the theology of the Trinity. This is basic Protestant Christian theology. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are not worshiping three different gods. We are worshiping one God, Yahweh, the God of the Jewish people, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we see God reflected in three different aspects of his nature. We see God in three different persons, if you will. We see God the Father, but we also see God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, one God. And in, in, in our growth track, I give the example for those that are new to Jesus stuff, the crudest, most terrible, it doesn't fit, but kinda illustration would be H2O. When H2O is below 32 degrees, it is a solid. When H2O is at room temperature, it is a liquid. When H2O is above 212 degrees, it is a gas or a vapor. It is the exact same substance, 
but it can be found in three different forms. God is God. He is one, period. But we see him in three different forms. All right, let's get back to our lesson, and we can move on away from this. Back to Jacob's ladder. Jesus is a mobile house of God, but he is not the only mobile house of God. He is the first human picture of the house of God, but he is not the last human picture of what God looks like when he dwells in a person. God is, is opening our minds to understand that he wants to live in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts. It is an invitation to be like Jesus. So, in fact, let's stick with John. And we were in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and he dwelt, he lived among us. Fast forward. Uh, Jesus is um, trying to give a little bit deeper teaching to uh, the, the, the disciples, he's actually about to wrap up his, his ministry on the earth. And he says, listen, I want you disciples to continue the work that I've done. I want you to continue to heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. I, I, I want you to continue this ministry. And in John chapter 14, Jesus tells the disciples something that just blows my mind. He said, you disciples are going to do greater things than I did. And they're like... What you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> like, as a reference for people over 45, so I'm sorry. If you're 41, you didn't get that reference. Over 45, you got the reference. What you talking about, Jesus? And then young people are like, why does he always do old people references? <laughs> I love that you think 41 is old. <laughs> Bless your little heart. After Jesus says, you will do greater works than I have done, he says, I am going to pray to my Father, and then he's going to give you another helper, capital H, talking about the Holy Spirit. And he will, circle this in your Bible, abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit's job is to dwell with you forever. And he continues in verse 18, he says, I'm not going to leave you guys as orphans. I'm going to return to you. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to return to heaven, but then I'm going to send you my presence. I'm going to send you my power. I'm going to dwell. I'm going to abide in you, among you. We need to allow our minds, our thoughts, to be so radically renewed and transformed that we see our lives as a mobile house of God wherever we go. That we carry heaven into every room we walk into. You go to work, you're carrying heaven into your workplace. You go to Trinity and you had to hang out on the football field this week. What's up, Trinity? You carry heaven with you wherever you go. It doesn't matter. You, you get off at the wrong exit on the highway and you look around and you're like, I don't feel super safe here. You're carrying heaven wherever you go. Too many of our ladders are left unused because our minds are not renewed to recognize that God wants to live in us, to dwell in us, to abide in us, that we take God's presence with us wherever we go that we are a dwelling place for the Most High God. But there is a warning in there, and I want to point it out to you. If you didn't catch the warning that Jacob gave us here in Genesis chapter 28, remember in verse 17, he said, man, I was afraid. I didn't, I didn't realize how awesome this place was. Why would the place where Jacob took a nap be considered awesome? Because God is holy. Because God is holy, and wherever God's presence is, is holy ground. Uh, years later, Moses is, is, is taking care of the sheep, and he sees a, a bush that's on fire but not getting burned up, so he comes closer, and God speaks to him from the presence of this fiery bush. He says, hey, take your shoes off, Mo. You're standing on holy ground. What made it holy? The presence of God. 
We need to understand that if God wants to dwell in us daily, we're carrying the presence of his holiness wherever we go. There needs to be an amount of like what Jacob said, awesome, wonder, the fear of the Lord, that our God is holy and he wants us to be holy. So don't take your ladder into some sinful area of your life. Don't take your ladder to get drunk. Don't take your ladder to look at porn. Don't take your ladder to sleep with somebody you're not married to. Don't take your ladder to get high. Don't take your ladder to commit some sort of sin because our God is holy and we need to recognize that there is an awesome fear and wonder. That is who we used to be, but that's not who we are anymore. Paul put it this way to the church in Ephesus. In chapter four, he said, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught him, the truth is in Jesus. So put off your old self which means that all belong to your former way of living. All that stuff is corrupt and it came through your deceitful desires. You need to be, look at it, renewed in the spirit of your minds. Come on, somebody. Put on your new self. You were created in the likeness, in the image of God, in his true righteousness and what, church? Holiness. You were created to live in the holiness of God. You should be dead to sin and alive to Christ. So put off old sinful ways. Put, let your mind be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Put on holiness. Don't defile God's heavenly presence. Don't defile the house of God by, by, by taking God's presence into some place of darkness. We should have some sort of awesome fear of the Lord, wonder of his holiness and his power and his presence. We should think with a renewed mind, not thinking with our former way of life. Last week, and this is why it's important, last week I, I, I told you that we need to think like heaven. That I gave you the example. The disciples, they freaked out because they were thinking like the, the world. They were thinking like the earth. That There's no way to feed 20,000 people. Jesus was thinking like heaven. I'm going to give you another example, and I'm going to read you a verse where thinking like the world is actually offensive to Jesus. Thinking like the world is offensive to Jesus. Now, I like to always give you Bible verses in context. I want to give you the, the story that's going on. I don't ever want to just grab one verse out and then give you a Bible verse out of context. But right now, I'm going to give you a Bible verse out of context. But I'm doing it on purpose and I'm doing it for a reason because it reveals Jesus' opinions on Christians thinking with earthly thoughts. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus has been hiding the plan for 16 chapters, and he finally tells the disciples, all right, boys, we're getting towards the end. We're gonna go up to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be arrested. I'm gonna be beaten. I'm gonna be murdered. But hey, don't worry, three days later, I'm gonna rise again. So that's a lot to take in for the disciples. It was so much that Peter pulls Jesus, Peter, pulls God aside and rebukes Jesus and said, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus responded. He turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, because you are a hindrance to me because you have not been setting your mind on the things of God. You have been setting your mind on the things of man. Jesus' problem with Peter wasn't the rebuke, wasn't the desire to hold on to Jesus on the earth as long as possible, even though Peter was rebuking God for the plan of salvation for the whole world. The big problem that Jesus had with Peter 
was he was not thinking with a heavenly thought life, he was thinking with a human thought life. Why? Why is it so offensive to Jesus? Here's why. If you think on a lie, if you come into agreement with a lie, you empower the liar. If you think you're stupid and unwanted, if you think you'll never get free from that addiction, if you think you'll never get healed, if you think you'll never find joy, if you think that God will never minister into your life, you are empowering a liar because you're not thinking with the thoughts of heaven. Remember last week I told you that the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth that we need to take our thoughts captive. We need to destroy every argument and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So when we think about godly things, when we think about heaven's things, we don't think about worldly things. We're not empowering the enemy. But Peter, by thinking from a, a worldly perspective, was actually empowering Satan to speak into that situation. Why? Peter wasn't taking his thoughts captive. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean you need to come into agreement with that thought. Most thoughts, if they come and originate from the enemy, you take captive and you remove. You submit it to the lordship of Christ. Why? Because we are the dwelling place of God. Because we have an open heaven that gives us access to the power and presence of God. You should always be putting yourself in situations where God should be sending angels down to minister to you and then calling angels back to give them their next assignment over your life. We should be following Jesus' example of being a mobile Bethel, a mobile Beit El, a mobile house of God. All right, final thought, and I'll wrap this thing up. Let's go all the way back. Where were we? Here's Genesis 28. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 28. Jacob awoke from his sleep. He said, wow, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? It's none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. A lot of homes in Texas have a backyard that belongs to them, and then they'll have a fence, and then there'll be a back alley. And in the alley is where the, the city of Grand Prairie, the city of Euless, the city of whatever is in charge of the alley. And that's where the utilities run, and that's where the dumpsters are. Your domain is in your yard. But when you get to the edge of your domain, there's always going to be a gate that'll take you from your private domain to the public domain of the city. But it is the gate that sits on the edge of those two worlds. It's the gate that divides one world from another. Jacob was running from his brother, and he just finds a place on a rock, and he lays down and goes to sleep. And wherever he laid down, God erected an open heaven over him, and there were angels ascending and descending, and he said that this place where I laid my head became the house of God, the gate of heaven. That wherever I was, was the transition point between one world and another. And then later we read and talked about that Jesus came in the flesh as a mobile house of God, that wherever Jesus was, he had access to heaven. He had access to the power and presence of heaven to be released on the earth because Jesus was this mobile version of what we saw in Genesis chapter 28. And then we read that Jesus went up into heaven. He said, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit and he is gonna dwell in you. He's gonna live in you. You're always gonna have an open heaven. You're always gonna have angels ascending in D7. You're always gonna be carrying the house of God wherever you go. You're always going to be a gateway to another dimension, to heavenly realms. 
So I know sometimes in our life we feel like we face big things, we face difficult things, we've, we get laid off or we lose a child or we lose a job or we lose a loved one and we feel like we are alone in this battle. I'm telling you, you are never alone because you plus God is always the majority. You're never alone. God's house is always there. His presence is always there. We just need to transform our minds to reach through the gate and grab whatever we need that's on the other side of that realm and pull it. What did, what did Jesus teach us to pray? On earth as it is in heaven. The house of God is wherever you lay your head. And there is an open heaven above you. The dwelling place of God should be in your heart should be in your mind, should be in your thinking. We need to have our minds renewed because so often we think that God is in some sort of cosmic black hole stratosphere and we are thinking of this world and not of his world. Or sometimes we have allowed sinful thinking into our mind and, and we have allowed unholy thinking into our mind. And we think it's better to get drunk, it's better to get high, it's better to lie, it's better to get angry, it's better to look at porn, it's better to steal, it's, it's better to sleep with somebody we're not married to. And we, we, we forget about the holiness of God. Hop up on your feet. We need to allow and ask God to renew our minds, to transform our minds, that we would carry the presence of God into every room we walk into. You've got a scary business meeting, you're the house of God. You're, you're a mobile carrier of the house of God. You got a, a big test, that you've studied for, but you're, you're still nervous, be at peace. You're the gateway to heaven. The peace of heaven be released into your life. You've got a, a difficult financial thing, a difficult sickness thing, a different mental thing, a trouble in relationship, a trouble in marriage, a trouble with one of your kids or grandkids. Don't freak out. Don't think from an earthly perspective. What is heaven thinking right now? You're the house of God. Let me also say this. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart house, if you've never asked Jesus to live, to abide, to dwell in you, today is the day you open that door. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart. He's knocking. Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus said, listen, I'm standing right outside of the door of your heart, and I'm just going to keep knocking. Because if you'll open the door, I will come in, and I will eat with you. That was an ancient expression for we're going to live together. We're going to do life together. God wants every part of your heart, every part of your life, every part of your mind. He wants to empower you. He wants to have angels ascending and descending over your life to minister to you. He wants to bring heaven down to your life. He wants to dwell. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We need to learn to allow our minds to be transformed and renewed to become the house of God. That wherever we go, we're carriers of God's power and His presence. Why? Because He loves you. Remember, we already read it. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. All of us have sinned ever since Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned against God. That sin separates us from God. There's no way to know God if there's still sin in our life. We need this sin removed, which is why God picked Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his 12 boys, the tribe of Judah, all the way down to Jesus, humbled himself, was born of a virgin, and he never sinned. Jesus was tempted to sin. Think about every way, well, don't think about every way you sinned as a kid, but Jesus was tempted as a teenager, he didn't sin. Jesus was tempted in his 20s as he was getting his, his career, the Bible says that he was a craftsman, he was a builder. 
we always picture, by the way, that he was a carpenter. How much wood is there in the Middle East? He was probably a stonemason because they built with a lot of stone, if you know what I'm saying. But if you want to keep picturing him with a hammer and nails, that's fine, American. You guys know that Jesus wasn't an American, right? I'm going to mess with some of you. Do you know that Jesus wasn't a Texan? I'm going to really mess with you. Jesus isn't a Cowboys fan. Because he doesn't like mediocrity. It's that time of year, friends. Until the Reds, uh, whatever they are, the command, until the commanders are terrible, I will keep talking trash. They're already terrible. <laughs> I'm supposed to be introducing people to Jesus and I'm talking football trash. That's awful. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, today is your day to know him. He's standing at the door of your heart. He wants to come in. He wants to dwell in you. He doesn't want to ever leave you alone. You're not an orphan. He wants to adopt you into his family. You're not an accident. I feel like somebody was struggling with suicide this week. Keeps coming up in my heart. Dude, if you committed suicide, we would be so sad without you. You mean the world to this church. You're so important to us. Remember, don't, if you think and come into agreement with a lie, you empower the liar. You need to think and come into agreement with who Jesus says you are, how valuable you are. Like, I'm not that valuable. It cost God his only son's life. That's how valuable you are. He loves you. He's crazy about you. God's not mad at you. No, listen, I've been struggling in my faith. I've been struggling in sin. I've been struggling. God's not mad at you. He's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. He wants to come in. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to, to transform your life. You got to forget your old ways. We talked about repentance last week. But that's, we make it so much harder than it needs to be. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and today is your day to get right with God, I want to pray for you. I can't pray for you. You have to pray the prayer. You have to believe it in your heart, pray it out loud with your mouth. But I can help you. I can lead you in that prayer. I don't know who you are. I don't, even if you're watching online, maybe your heart's pounding out of your chest. If you're, if you're at home online or you're here in the room and you want to pray this prayer to get right with God, it might be the first time in your life you've ever prayed this prayer. It might be the first time in a long time because you've allowed your heart to grow cold. You've allowed your life to grow distant and run from God. So whether it's the first time in your life or the first time in a long time, I'd like to lead you in that prayer, but I'd like to know who I'm praying for. So if you're here this morning, would you be super brave and just shoot your hand up real high and say, preacher, pray for me. Today's my day to get right with God. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Where at? Come on, shoot him up. Good. Good. What about you at home? Two people raised their hand and said, today's my day to get right with God. Right there in your living room, right there watching YouTube, just shoot your hand up. Say, I'm going to get right with God today. For you at home and for those that are here, why don't we all pray? Maybe you were too afraid to raise your hand. That's all right. Why don't we all pray this prayer? If you believe it in your heart, say, dear Jesus... I repent, I surrender my life to you, forgive me, wash me and cleanse me of all of my sin. I open the door of my life and I invite you to come in, to live in my heart, to transform my mind, that I would think like a child of God, 
and not an orphan. Thank you, Lord, that you would live in my life. Give me an awesome fear of your holiness. Help me to be holy. Help me to leave my past behind. God, I'm asking that you would have angels descend over my life and minister your kingdom to me. In Jesus' name. What do you say, church? Amen? Amen. What about for the two? What about for those two? Come on, somebody. All right, here's where we're going to go from here. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down to the front to pray, but I want to talk to those of you that are at home. If you raised your hand right there uh, watching this video, I want you to text the name, the word Jesus, to 817-405-2244. All that does is send you an auto-response form. Please fill that form out. We want to begin to pray for you. We want to begin to encourage you in your walk with God. We want to write your name or your initials on a light bulb and screw it in on our Jesus wall over here. There's only like three spots left, and we want to leave room for you. Uh, so if you're here in the room, I want you to pray with one of our prayer team workers. We want to begin to encourage you and, and pray for you. If you're here in this place and there is pain in your body, that's not God's will. If there's sickness in your body, that's not God's will. If there's a relationship situation, a marriage thing, a kid thing, a, a whatever thing that you need to take a minute or two and pray with somebody, would you come and pray with one of our prayer team on each side of the stage? We just want to encourage you and, and, and bless you and strengthen you, come alongside you. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.